If you noticed in your bulletin this morning, you may have been overly shocked as there is a handout. Someone asked me this morning, uh, are you going to do this every week? Only God knows. I will say I will try, but we shall see. (laughs) Acts chapter 8. Over the past two weeks, you have heard from both Pastor Jim and Pastor Mike regarding the events in Acts 8. We observe the early church being persecuted by Saul. And yet, despite persecution, there were those who faithfully stood upon the truth of God's word and eventually paid the ultimate price for their faith. We see an example of this uh, as we see in the life of Stephen. But on the other hand, there are certainly those who see what God is capable of doing and are fascinated by it. They're religious, but lost, as Pastor Mike highlighted last week regarding Simon. We learned that Simon wanted the benefits of salvation, but he did not want a relationship with Jesus Christ. And we say it often, and you've heard me say numerous times, I don't really care what you claim to be as far as a denominational participant. It's not whether or not you're Methodist or Lutheran or Church of God, Church of Christ, or anything else in between. Eventually, doctrine does distinguish and make a difference. But ultimately, it starts with a relationship with Jesus Christ. And I wonder, do we have that relationship with Jesus Christ that we claim? Um, Sometimes it's easy to play the part. I go to church. I give, I help, I do. But do we truly have a relationship of Jesus Christ? Well, as we look at this next text of Scripture, we see a beautiful picture of conversion as seen in the life of the Ethiopian eunuch. And within this text, we see several principles in Philip's life that we would do well to imitate. Before we look at them, let's take a moment to pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you once again for the opportunity to look at your word this morning. And I pray, God, that you would speak to our hearts. Lord, would you teach us those things that we need to learn? May you remind us of those things that maybe we once learned but have forgotten or have not practiced. Bring encouragement where encouragement is needed. Bring conviction where conviction is needed. We ask, God, that your will would be accomplished through the preaching of your word this morning. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I want to begin this morning by beginning uh, to read, beginning with verse 26, on down through verse 40. So if you would just follow along as I read the story and what God is doing in this text of Scripture. Verse 26, An angel of the Lord spoke to Philip, Get up and go south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is the desert road. So he got up and went. There was an Ethiopian man, a eunuch and high official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of her entire treasury. He had come to worship in Jerusalem and was sitting in his chariot on his way home, reading the prophet Isaiah aloud. The spirit told Philip, go and join that chariot. When Philip ran up to it, he heard him reading the prophet Isaiah and said, do you understand what you're reading? How can I, he said, unless someone guides me. So he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. Now the scripture passage he was reading was this. He was led like a sheep to the slaughter, and as a lamb is silent before his shearer, so he does not open his mouth. In the humiliation, justice was denied him. Who will describe his generation? 
for his life is taken from the earth. The eunuch replied to Philip, I ask you, who is the prophet saying this about? Himself or another person? So Philip proceeded to tell him the good news about Jesus, beginning from that scripture. As they were traveling down the road, they came to some water. The eunuch said, look, there's water. What would keep me from being baptized? And Philip said, if you believe with all your heart, you may. And he replied, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Then he ordered the chariot to stop. Both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water, and he baptized him. And when they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord carried Philip away, and the eunuch did not see him any longer. But he went on his way rejoicing. Philip appeared in Azotus, and he was traveling and evangelizing all the towns until he came to Caesarea. We said within this text, we see at least two principles in Philip's life that we would do well to imitate. And the first thing is this, Philip listened to God. That's a huge, important principle to live by. Philip listened to God. say, well, why is that important? Because if God is going to speak to us, we have to be willing to listen to it. I don't know if there's anything too um, much more frustrating than as your kids are growing as they're young and you're trying to teach them and you're trying to instill within their hearts principles of obedience and you tell your children to do something and you do what? You wait for them to do it. And sometimes you wonder because they don't respond right away, are they listening? I know you've never had that experience in your life. Um, Now I'm thankful for my kids. I'm thankful for their obedience. But you know, as we are starting out in life and we try to teach those principles, we want God Uh, to work in our lives, and he's trying to speak to us, but the question is, are we listening? We would do well to listen to God. And you know what I found in my life is that as we listen to God, three things may happen, amongst other things. First of all, God may send you to an unusual place. He may send you to an unusual place. I don't know how God has worked in your life, But God has sent me to some unusual places. And that's what he was doing in the life of Philip. In fact, he says right away there in verse 26, And the angel of the Lord spoke to Philip, Get up and go south to the road that goes down to Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert road. It literally means it was a desertous uh, region. There wasn't much there. It was dry. It was arid. It wasn't a lot to go to. But it was the unusual place that God was sending him. And God has sent me to some unusual places in my life. I think probably the first unusual place that God sent me was in a village in Canada. Uh, My high school summers uh, were spent working as a summer missionary with uh, BIMI and uh, some missionaries that were in Canada. But I can remember getting in a little small Cessna plane with just enough stuff for that week and went to a place called Wagamaw Lake. It was an island out in the middle of nowhere, literally out in the middle of nowhere, where 600 people lived. The only way they could get things on and off that little island was in the winter months when they would drive across the lakes. But I can remember as a ninth grader going to Weagamal Lake in Canada, out in the middle of the bush country, and I was the first white guy that some of those little Indian kids saw. And they were peeking around the corner looking at me. I remember going into this little room. Uh, It was literally just big enough for a pool table and about four foot around it, and it was packed but it was the village canteen. 
And I remember thinking, I'm thirsty. I'm going to go over there, get a can of pop, or get a can of pop, you know, something. I walk in the door. The music is blaring. There's so much smoke you couldn't even, you know, see your way through the door. And all of a sudden, the music stopped, and every head went like this. (laughs) Yeah, you're out of place. But God sometimes sends us to unusual places. I can remember going to a village in Monterrey, Mexico, where people live in cardboard homes with blue tarp roofs. And I can remember driving out in, the, out in the country, out in the desolate areas outside of Monterey, and seeing what looked like the start of a house, but was never completed. And I asked the guy who was leading the mission trip, I said, what in the world is with these buildings? And you know, there's like, you know, on this wall, there's three layers of brick. And on that layer, wall, there's two layers of brick. On that one over there, there's two and a half layers of brick. This one, there's one. And I remember thinking, what in the world is this? And he just kind of looked up and he said, the people here are poor. He said, when they get enough money to buy a few bricks, they buy a few bricks. And when they get a few bricks, they add them to the wall. It's years and years and years of work. That's unusual for us. That's not our norm. We move into ready-made homes or have homes built to move into. That's an unusual thing to experience. And I remember thinking to our teenagers that we took, almost 40 teenagers on that trip. And it was just mind-boggling to think that people live in little cardboard homes with blue ripped-up tarps or portions of tin roofs over them. That's unusual for us. I can remember going to India 11 years ago. And I can remember standing up, similar to a situation like this, only outdoors, about the same kind of a crowd. And all of a sudden, the, the... the Muslims driving around our area as we're trying to start that church in in Hyderabad and and throwing M80 firecrackers and those little bombs that you know, just disrupting the service. It's not the norm for us. We come in peace, we leave in peace. We don't worry about someone crashing through the door with bombs here in America. I can remember being in the interior of a Liberian village overwhelmed by poverty and seeing that some people in that village Their job every day was to sweep the dirt out in front of the storefront. We don't imagine that. That's an unusual place for us. But it may be in the city. How many of you, if God were to open the door to move downtown in the roughest part of any big city, would you do it? Not there. There's drugs, there's alcohol, there's prostitution, there's all kinds of things. Or how about working at an abortion clinic like we've been talking about the last couple weeks? trying to fight those things. Or ministries that fight abortions, excuse me. Following God and listening to God's voice may mean, doesn't always mean, but it may mean that God may send you to an unusual place. For Philip, the angel of God spoke to him, and he said, I want you to go to this desert road. You notice what you didn't see? He didn't sit there and argue with God. Well, God, why should I do that? I mean, there's nothing there. I think, obviously, Philip, living in the area, probably knew what was down there, and there's not a whole lot there. But he was willing to go. Number two, God may use you to help an uncommon person. God may use you to help an uncommon person. Well, what do you mean by uncommon? Well, it's not every day that you get to talk talk to someone of significance. And as amazing as all the political uh, uh, 
uh, groups that were coming on the scene here and, and the rallies and the so forth and, and everybody's coming to Rochester and I know that there are people who don't even care for Hillary Clinton but they're up there taking a picture of the selfies because you know, she's right there over right shoulder and they're taking it and posting it on, on Facebook and, and Instagram and Snapchat and why? Because there's somebody famous and I get to be close to them. I don't agree with them but it's kind of cool that I'm by them. All of my friends are posting pictures. Got, I got one by next to Ted Cruz. I wish I would have got that one. That would have been cool. But you know, it's not every day that God opens doors with people who are uncommon to us. When you look, take a look at the Ethiopian eunuch, God's word is very clear that he was a very significant person uh, in his realm. He was a high official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of the entire treasury. He was a significant person. Um, if we could call it today, it may be similar to someone who is a minister of finance in a, high up in the cabinet. A lot of responsibility, a lot of finances at their disposal. And yet, God said, I want you to go talk to them. Uncommon to us, maybe on a daily basis, but not uncommon to God because everyone needs the gospel. And number three, God may give you an unexpected outcome. Sometimes we have those chance meetings, and for us, they're chance, but God, they're divine appointments. But we have these opportunities, and God lays them out right before us, and we kind of have this idea of what will happen, but then sometimes God floors us with something totally different, a different expectation that was fulfilled. And in the life of the Ethiopian eunuch, and in the life of Philip, God put them together at such a divine moment that Philip heard the truth of the gospel, and the unexpected outcome is that he believed wasn't unexpected to God, but sometimes those are unexpected to us because we truly don't believe that God's going to work. I was being very honest with a couple of pastors this week, and I said, you know, I'm just to a point in my life, pray for me on this, I'm just tired of diabetes. I'm tired of it. I feel like I've been poking myself for 20 years. I'm tired of it. Your fingers start hurting, your sides start hurts, and I got to wear my pump and get you know, a little well, and I, I just, I'm just done with it. But there's a problem with that. I can't be done with it. It's there. And so every once in a while, I'll throw out this Hail Mary, God, will you just kind of like heal me on my diabetes? And I say, God, just take it away. But in the back of my mind, I say, that's not going to go away. It's impossible for it to go away. So why am I praying this? But see, what does Hebrews remind us of? They that go to God in prayer must believe that he exists and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. Is God going to reward that prayer? I think that's like, God ain't going to do that. He's not going to take away my diabetes. Why am I praying this? And then I think to myself, now i got guilt because why am I praying if I don't think God's going to do it? This little circle that you kind of go with and go around in your mind. I don't even have faith that God's going to do it, so why am I bother wasting my breath? That's the way life is sometimes, isn't it? We kind of throw those Hail Mary prayers out. We kind of half want God, we, we, I mean, we really want God to do it, but we have hard to believe that he's not going to. And I wonder how many times that we kind of justify in our own minds, our own hearts, our own prayer life, that we say, God, I, I want to be used for you. I want you to open up some doors of opportunity. But then, ah, he's really not going to do that, so I'm just going to kind of keep doing what I do anyway. Because he's really not listening anyway. He's really not concerned about this in my life. 
isn't he? I don't know, I get convicted about that sometimes. Half-hearted prayers that you really don't believe God's going to answer. Why would he? Remember in Matthew, concerning the fig, fig bush and the fruit? Um, as they, you know, Jesus went forth and he's preaching in every town and, and he says after this whole story he's teaching them and he's telling them parables and, and finally Jesus looks at uh, the disciples and, and he, he reminds us in his word, I think it's Matthew 13 he says, and Jesus did not many mighty works there because of their unbelief it wasn't that he couldn't do the work it wasn't that he wasn't powerful enough to do it but I think there's this little aspect of, well, I guess I won't disappoint you if you don't think I'm gonna. They really didn't believe that he could. I mean, isn't that just Jesus, the carpenter's son? Isn't that just Jesus, Mary's son? Isn't that just Jesus? That was their attitude. They said he did not many mighty works there because of their unbelief. Sometimes we, we throw out these prayers, but we really don't believe God's gonna do something. Shame on us. God may send you to an unusual place. He may cause you to help an uncommon person. And he may give you an unexpected outcome. God is so much greater than what we anticipate him to be. The Ethiopian eunuch believed and was baptized. The first thing that we see within the text, the principle that we should imitate, is that we should listen to God. Because we don't always know what he's going to do. And he may use you to do it. And secondly... We see in the life of Philip that he obeyed God's leading. We see this in verse 27. Well, actually, verse 29 also says the Spirit told Philip, go and join the chariot. So twice God spoke to Philip, and Philip in verse 27 does this. So he got up and went. He obeyed God's leading. Uh, two thoughts here. First of all, God orchestrates divine meetings. God orchestrates divine meetings. It's not chance. It's not coincidence. It's not luck. God opens doors that sometimes we don't think of being from God. Divine meetings. And we see this in verse 28 and following. He says this. And was sitting in his chariot on his way home, reading the prophet Isaiah aloud. And the spirit told Philip, go and join that chariot. And when Philip ran up to it, he heard him reading the prophet Isaiah and said, do you understand what you're reading? I mean, this was not a coincidence. God knew that the chariot was going this way, and God said to Philip, go meet him. There's going to be a moment when it stopped. For whatever reason, God doesn't tell us. There's obviously it stopped, and Philip meets him, and they have this conversation. And he hears that Philip, or this eunuch, is reading from the prophet Isaiah. But here's, not only does Philip obey, and he orchestrates divine meetings, but Philip was ready to speak. Philip was ready to speak. You know, God's word talks very clearly about this for us as believers. When God creates an opportunity for us to open our mouth, are we willing to do it? In 1 Peter 3.15, it says, Be ready to give a defense of the hope that is within us. And sometimes we have this idea that, well, I really don't know what to say, and if God opens the door, I'm not really sure how I'm going to walk through it, and I really don't know, I, I haven't memorized enough scripture, and I, I can't answer every question, so I just kinda, I'm just going to keep my mouth shut and see what happens. Wrong approach. 1 Peter 3.15 says to be ready to give a defense of the hope that lies within us. 
And in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 15, it says, speak the truth in love. There are times that God puts people in our path, divinely, I believe, that need to hear the truth, and sometimes we're just afraid to open our mouth. If God be for us, who can be against us? I'm convinced that there's a lot of things that we are able to say if we say them correctly. If we say it in love. But Phil was ready to speak. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 20, he says, Now then, as ambassadors for Christ, as though God were pleading through us, we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 20. Well, what was the message that Phil wanted the eunuch to understand? So Philip runs and meets the eunuch, and he hears him talking or reading through the prophet Isaiah. So what was the message that, you, that, that the eunuch needed to understand? Well, first of all, it was the gospel, the good news, if you will. The gospel, and we see that in verses 32 through 35. It says, now, the scripture passage he was reading was this. He was led like a sheep to the slaughter, and as a lamb is silent before its shearer, so he does not open his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied. Who will describe his generation, for his life is taken from the earth? And the eunuch replied to Philip, I ask you, who is the prophet saying this about? Himself or another person? So Philip proceeded to tell him the good news about Jesus, beginning from that scripture. Here's the idea here. The gospel needed to be, to be heard. And he said, the good news about Jesus Christ. I love, uh, several weeks ago, we had a, a Propel meeting here at our church on a Saturday. Had about 70 people here. And Vince DePaula from Lakeshore Community Church came. And he said, I want to give you the gospel in 10 words or less. And this has stuck with me now for several weeks. He says, uh, this is the gospel that we need to understand in 10 words or less. Uh, first of all, God holy. There's the first two words. God holy. And when you think about presenting the gospel, that's where you start. With God who is holy. Then secondly, man sinful. That's who we are in comparison to God and who we are born to be. Man sinful. Number three, Christ cross. There's the next two words. Christ came to be uh, the bridge to the cross. And then the last four words. You believe and receive. Ten words that give us the catalyst or the, or the, the prodding to share the gospel with anyone who needs to hear it. And as Philip went forward, he shared the good news of Jesus Christ. And can I just say a second point there? There's a difference between religion and relationship. You see, Philip realized that he had an interest in the spiritual. The religious. I mean, what was he there? He went down to Jerusalem to what? Worship. And yet he didn't even know who he was worshiping. He didn't know the God who deserves all worship. So there's a difference between religion and relationship. And let me just say this. Religion is rela regulated by rules and regulations and guidelines. <coughs> religion is regulated by rules. I can remember growing up, we used to play... What's the word? Uh, where you have two cards, you try to find the same numbers. Go fish. So we lay out 52, I don't know if that's the right word. We use face cards. So you lay out all these cards and you had to find the ones that match. They're all turned over upside down, memory games, you know. And someone would come in and see you using face cards. We just invited the devil into our living room floor. 
Because one of the rules of being a good, independent, fundamental King James-only Baptist is that you don't use face cards. Really? It was a game. Nothing more, nothing less. It was a dumb game. But it was a rule. Or how about going to movies growing up as a kid? How dare you walk through that sinful hellhole? But every church member had a member membership at the local video store. That was okay. Rules and regulations. Or how about eating pork? I'm just telling you bacon is good. If you're under that persuasion in the Old Testament, hey, Lord bless you, I'm eating the bacon. In fact, if you don't like it, send it to my house. Um, women wearing pants. It was a rule. And I remember thinking as a ninth grader, seriously, as a ninth grader, going to Afton Alps Ski Hill, where all the skiing was taking place in Minnesota. We loved it. We'd go three, four, five times a winter, go downhill skiing. And it was always odd when my church walked in because the girls had to have culottes over the pants. And all the people in the entire place went. Because somehow God was honored by people looking weird. But it was rules, regulations. You see, religion requires rules. And I'm not bashing, if, you, if you're that, go for it. Tattoos, well they must be from hell. They got a tattoo on their arm. They must be rebellious. Rules. I'm so glad that God is bigger than that. I'm so glad that God is not about rules and regulations. I know I just meddled with some of you this morning. I'm sorry. Not really, though. Relationships are nurtured by love. See, religion is ruled by rules. Relationships are regulated by, or nurtured by love. You see, it's not that I don't have rules in my life. I have lots of rules I live by. And so do you, by the way. You see, as I've said many times, there are things that probably should have been given to us as men as we started a marriage relationship. That book, that, you know, that solid golden book that we should have all received on our wedding day. We didn't get it. So we're still trying to figure out the rules. No, just kidding. But here's the deal. Yeah. But here's the deal. Because my relationship is nurtured by love, there are things that I choose not to do because I love her. There are things that I choose not to do because I know it hurts her. And there are things that I try to do because I know it encourages her. See, relationships are nurtured by love. So when it comes to Jesus Christ, it's, I don't look, I've never looked at my relationship with Jesus Christ as being rules. Rules stink. Someone said rules are made to be broken. Anybody enjoy rules? But here's the difference. The greater my relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ, the more it's nurtured by love, the more I want to please him. It's not that I can't go out and drink and get drunk and get wasted and go get, you know, high on drugs. I mean, I'm, hey, I moved to Colorado, I can smoke all the pot I want. I mean, I'm 21, I can go drink all the beer, to, beer and whiskey and vodka until I'm just like drunk in a gutter somewhere. Legally, I can do that. But is it wise? You see, the more I love God, the more that relationship is nurtured by our love for one another, the more I want to please Him. It's not that I can't, I don't want to. 
So what we find in the eunuch's heart is, first of all, is that there's religion. He's reading, but he doesn't know what it means. He says very clear, well, how, how can I understand unless somebody teaches me? So there's a difference between religion and relationship. Number three, the eunuch's heart was being prepared. The eunuch's heart was being prepared. So as God began to work in his heart, and he's going down here to worship, even though he doesn't understand who he's worshiping, he's reading the scripture, even though he doesn't understand it, there's an interest here, and God is opening a door for, the, for Philip to come in and start sharing the truth. His heart was being prepared. So what was the gospel's impact on the eunuch? Verses 36 and 37. As they were traveling down the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, Look, there's water. What should keep me from being baptized? And Philip said, If you believe with all your heart, you may. And he replied, He didn't just say, I do. What did he say? He says, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. The first impact was true faith. True faith. It was no longer just words on a page. It was no longer just running down to Jerusalem to worship there. Now I have purpose. I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. There's true faith. And we find in Romans chapter 10, verse 17, that faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. It's the Word of God that's going to change a life. There are times in our lives that we have opportunities that God lays in our laps to share our faith, to talk about real truth. And sometimes we just say, well, hey, this is a good book. You got to read this book. It'll, it'll help you. There's a lot of good books out there. A lot of lousy books out there. But it's the Word of God that changes lives. Number two, there's obedience. And I put the second blank there in baptism. Verses 38, 39, the second part of that verse, or first part of that verse. It says, Then he ordered the chariot to stop, and both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water, and he baptized him. And when they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord carried Philip away. We see that there's obedience in baptism. You see, baptism is the first step of obedience after trusting Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. And you say, well, is there any scriptural evidence for baptism by immersion versus being sprinkled? Here it is. They went down into the water, they came up out of the water. And as you've heard me say numerous times, if you've been here long enough, as you stand in the water, you form a... What? Cross. What did Jesus Christ do on the cross? He, he died. So the water baptism, as you go under the water, you are picturing his death. But did Jesus Christ stay in the grave? No. Three days later, he arose, came up out of the water. So baptism is a public profession they're a public picture of my private confession of faith in Jesus Christ. And it's the first step of obedience. And immersion is biblical. So it's the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ is being pictured. And not only that, according to Romans 6, it says when a person is baptized, they are crucifying the old flesh. They're raised up in newness of life. Old things are passed away, all things become new. So you're putting to death the old life they had before Christ. And then there's one more thing here beyond true faith, beyond obedience and baptism. Number three, he's finding it in the second part of verse 39 here. It says, When they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord carried Philip away, and the eunuch did not see him any longer, but he went on his way, what? Rejoicing. There's joy. 
There's joy. You know, as a child of God, we ought to have joy. You ought to be a person that has joy in your life. Why? Because of what God has done for you. You ever met a sourpuss? I think two hands and a foot. We all know them. Do you enjoy spending time with them? No. You wonder sometimes, do they have the joy of God in their life at all? Is there any joy whatsoever? Just downers and I mean, just boring. I mean, it's just kind of like people you want to just kind of like get away from. I, I think this is natural. And, and the book of Philippians talks about this. That when we get true faith and we begin to walk in obedience, we ought to have joy doing it. If you don't have joy, you've got to ask yourself, do I have the Lord? In conclusion, I want to draw just some applications. I'm not going to spend a lot of time here because I don't have it. But tonight we're going to come back and fill in the blanks on these three points of conclusion. Number one, how does one know when God is speaking to them? We see in the story that Philip is being spoken to by an angel of the Lord. The Holy Spirit came to him. God just, for whatever reason, chose to single him out and to speak to him and bid him to a task of reaching the Ethiopian eunuch. And the question that comes to mind is, how do I know when God is speaking? Or is it just my mind telling me to do something crazy? I'm telling you, I have fought that before. Um, I remember, let me just tell you this story real quickly. When I planted a church in Indianapolis, Indiana, I can remember in the first few months I was there, driving down Highway 52 in New Palestine, and the Spirit of God was telling me, pull in there, pull in there. Talking about this church that was up there on the, on the left. It was Brookville Road Community Church. And I'm like, no, pull in the church. No, pull in the church. I don't want to pull in the church. Pull in the church. I don't want to pull in the church. Pull in the church. I'm not pulling in the church. I don't even know anybody there. Pull in the church. I'm not going to that church. Pull in the church. And it hit me. I'm like having this conversation. And trust me, I'm not one of those weird, wacko guys who have a conversation with myself. Most of the time. And I'm sitting there, like, pull in there. And I'm like, I don't want to pull in there. I don't even know anybody in there. Pull in there. And all of a sudden, at like 60 mile an hour, I pull my Aerostar into there. Or my, my Windstar into there. And I'm thinking, now what? Because it's like God just slapped me upside the head and said, you're, you're arguing with me. I'm like, so I walk in the door. True story. Word for word. I walk in the front door. And the secretary standing there, and she goes, can I help you? And in my mind, I said, I doubt it. But she, but she said, can I help you? And I said, well, is the pastor available? And I'm thinking to myself, why am I even here? And she goes, well, he's with somebody, but, you know, they're, they're about ready to leave. And I said, okay. So I'm sitting there. The pastor's office is 20 yards that way, down a long hallway. And she goes, by the way, what's your name? I said, it's Ken. She goes, oh, where do you live, Ken? I said, oh, just down around the corner. She goes, oh, what do you do? I said, I'm a pastor, planting a church here in New Palestine. She goes, really, what church? I said, Water's Edge. She goes, oh, we prayed for you last night. And I'm thinking to myself, yeah, okay, whatever. A few minutes later, the guy walks out of the pastor's office, and he kind of goes like this and motions me to come down there. And the secretary said nothing to him. His door was shut. He didn't hear any of the conversation. Walked down inside the door. He goes, hey, I'm Pastor Hubert. 
He said, uh, welcome, welcome to Brookville Road. I'm like, okay. And he goes, so uh, what can I do for you? Or he goes, no, first of all, he goes, what's your name? I said, it's Ken. He goes, oh, you live around here? And I said, yeah, just down around the corner. He says, oh, what, what do you do? I said, I'm a pastor, planting a church here in New Palestine. He goes, really, what church? I said, Water's Edge. He goes, oh, we prayed for you last night. Okay. And I looked at him, I said, really? I said, because that's what she said. And he looks at me, he says, I don't know anybody at your church. But he said, I heard that there's a new church coming to town. He says, I'm for you. We prayed for you. Okay. He goes, well, what can I do for you? I said, nothing. I said, listen, this is just a weird scenario for me. I said, I'm just telling you like it is. This is weird. I'm driving down Highway 52. The Holy Spirit said, come in here. I said, no. He said, go in there. I said, no. I said, I'm arguing with the Holy Spirit. And he said, go in there. And I'm like, okay. So I'm here I am, pastor. Don't know. I don't need anything. I don't want anything. Not asking for anything. I'm just here. And he laughed. He goes, I'm glad you showed up. And, uh, so anyway, he says, well, let me, just, let me just show you around. So he gave me a tour of the offices and gave me a tour of the church. And it's a monster church. They run 11, 11 1,200 people. And um, interesting thing happened because of that divine moment. Um, as a church planner, we didn't have a facility that was our own. We were renting at the tune of $3,500 a month, which was killing our income. And he looked at me and says, listen. He goes, what if I could save you some money? He goes, why don't you just meet here at the church and you guys can have it on Saturdays or we'll use it on Sundays. Free of charge. Cool. So we started out on Saturday nights for about a year. He gave me an office, gave me a key, gave me the code of the security, and gave us $500 a month to plant the church. And I think to myself, was God in that moment? Absolutely he was. I remember thinking to myself, I don't really have a lot of money as a church planting pastor. Working, trying to plant the church, working as a substitute school teacher, painting houses and rooms. I mean, just working at CVS. I'm just trying to do all these different jobs just to make a living. And he just comes in and gives us a building free of charge. Gives me an office, gives me a key, gives me a code, and gives us $500 a month. Just because I listened to the Holy Spirit saying, go in there. It was amazing. I'll never forget it. And it didn't stop there. He continued to bless us. He supported the church plant for two years even after we left and came here. They were for us. How do you know when God is speaking? We're going to talk about more of that tonight in discussion. Number two, how does one move from religion to relationship? How do we go from religion to relationship? Because there's a lot of people, and you know it as well as I do, that are religious but they have no relationship with Jesus Christ. Can I just tell you in a nutshell very quickly? In Romans chapter 10, verses 9, 10, and 13, this is very simple. He says this. If you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Why? One believes with the heart, resulting in righteousness, and confesses with his mouth, resulting in salvation. And verse 13 says, For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. See, a lot of people have it right here, but they don't have it here. So 
Someone wrote a track years ago that said, Missing Heaven by 18 inches, the distance between your head and your heart. See, a lot of people know a lot of facts about Jesus, but they don't know Jesus personally. Do you know him? That's how one moves from religion to relationship, by trusting in Jesus Christ. Then number three, how does one know that he has genuine faith? Well, according to 1 John chapter 2, verse 6, there's Christ-likeness. It says, he who has a spirit wants to be like Christ. How's your, what's your desire? Do you want to be like Christ? Does the Holy Spirit live within you and give you the desire to be like Christ? 1 John 2, 6, then Hebrews 11, 8, there's obedience. And there's a thousand other characteristics. But if I could just say it in a nutshell, Christ-likeness is a desire, and I want to be obedient. That's a pretty strong picture of genuine faith in Jesus Christ. And we see in the text here in, Rome, in uh, Acts chapter 8 that the Ethiopian eunuch says, I believe that Jesus Christ is the, is the Son of God. Have you come to that conclusion? Do you know Jesus Christ? Is your life marked with obedience and joy and Christ-likeness? Or you say, man, i got some things to work on. Two hands and a foot. Got some, got some things to work on. Maybe you do too. But let's learn from it. The two things that Philip did that God used him in was listening to God and obeying God's leading. Those are important things if God's going to use us in what he may do in our lives. Let's pray.